Welcome to the Seek 24 podcast. My name is John Michael Lucido, and this podcast will feature some of our favorite podcasters recorded live at the Spoke Street Media Booth during Seek 24 in St. Louis. We hope these give you a glimpse of the energy and passion from the conference and help you in your faith journey. Enjoy. I want to welcome everybody. How are you doing? We're going to start a, a show, Jeff Caven show on Ascension Presents, and I'm going to be talking to Mike Gormley. So, right here, better known as Gomer. Hey. Welcome, Gomer. So good to be here with y'all. So good to be here. Wake up. I'm here. Let's do this. <laughs> All right. I want to welcome you to the Jeff Caven show on Ascension Presents. We are at Seek 24 in St. Louis. And we have somewhere under 1 million people present in the crowd right now. Yeah, and I gave them all free stickers over at the Ascension Press booth. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. So I want to welcome you to the show. Yeah, thank you. You and I I have been friends. And uh, I want to talk about a number of different things while we're here. We have such a a beautiful audience that's joining us here today. Very attractive. These are very attractive I want to talk about some of the issues that are facing young adults today uh, in the world. And of course, you know, you know, uh, Mike from Catching Foxes. How many of you have listened to Catching Foxes? Dozens in the entire arena. Somewhere under a million. Yes, yeah. that's okay. good. And also, every knee shall bow. You heard that? Yeah, very, very yeah, good. yeah. Well, I want to talk to you, uh, Mike, about some of the issues that these young people here at Seek 24 are facing in their life. And uh, but before I get to that first one, which is identity and what people are going through, what are you up to lately? Yeah, so uh, I just left um, parish ministry after 17 years of doing youth ministry, young adult ministry, campus ministry, and um, adult faith formation. I just left it after 17 years. That was hard. Uh, But now I work for That Man Is You. Paradisus Day is the main organization, but I travel around the country giving talks, doing parish missions and stuff like that full time. And I do the podcast thing. Sure. Yeah, that's what Fantastic. I'm doing. Yeah. So you get to meet a lot of young people when yeah. you're traveling around the world. And if you turn on the news these days, you're going to hear about identity and people uh, trying to, I, I guess I would call it branding themselves. It's, mm. uh, and it's uh, determining who they are, uh, what their purpose is and so forth. What are you hearing in the world right now about this? How do you see it? Yeah, so that's interesting. I, I think the biggest thing that I'm seeing culturally across the board is we often, people struggle with not having a sense of themselves. And when you're at this age, the big thing is like, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? What do I want my life's purpose to mean? There's that purpose stuff. But then even deeper than it, there comes this, um, this element of, well, I'm still trying to figure out who I am. And uh, so I do, I also do prison ministry, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But um, one of the big things in prison ministry is these are a group of men who were almost entirely not raised by parents, right? So single parent families where the moms were more or less either working a bunch of jobs or just absent. And so for me, my big thing with these men is they don't know who they are. So they joined gangs. They didn't have fathers. So they joined gang to have brothers and they gave them an identity, but it's one that just chewed them up. And so a big thing that I see, and and it's kind of fascinating, is bringing people into a relationship with Christ gives them a non-performative identity. 
Uh Meaning, and I think this is what like a lot of the crisis morally in our culture is people are looking for an identity that I can receive, that that is like adherent to who I am without having to earn it. Like I'm an athlete. Well, you got to earn it. You tear your ACL. Who are you now? Right. That kind of thing. Um, And I've had friends that have been plunged into despair because they were college athletes who had a serious injury that they can no longer play or or they lost the scholarship for academic reasons. And now all of a sudden they they don't know who they are. Right. So there's this element where it's like they're pushing back on that kind of American productive. You are what you produce kind of performative identity, but they're getting lost in things that are non-essential. Right. These these externals. And they they so easily grab hold of these things and say, you tell me who I am. Sometimes it's people, it's relationships, it's dating. And that puts people in a relationship crisis because you put your identity in the hands of a human. Have you met people? They're the worst. Mm-hmm. So you do that. And then all of a sudden they break up with you or you have a thing. And then, and then it, yeah. So this identity thing is so, um, it's kind of in the, it's like the uh, the background wallpaper of, of, of the room yeah. that everyone's in, you know? One of the things that I've noticed about the whole identity issue is that people like the wonderful people here at Seek24, when it comes to engaging other people, there is almost a fear of talking because you don't know exactly how you should proceed. Now, when I was growing up, you just come up to someone and say, hey, let's talk or whatever. But now there's this protocol almost. And I shared this in my talk here at Seek24 that when I got into an Uber, And I talked to this guy for 10 minutes in the car about the Lord and what I was doing. At the end, I said, hey, I said, I'll remember you in prayer. And he said, I would appreciate it if you would ask for permission. (laughs) I've never heard that before. I said, I thought I heard it wrong. So I said, excuse me. And he said, I would prefer that you ask for permission to pray for me. And I said, okay. Uh, will you grant me permission to pray for you? And he said, yes, but thank you for asking. And I thought, <laughs> just, just a protocol to, it's like, we're going to set the rules here before we engage. Man, that is, that is intense. That's an intense level. I feel like this is also the weirdness of capitalism. Sometimes everything <laughs> in our life becomes commodified. You know, when it's like, uh, you want to interact with me? Okay, let's set up a contract. We're going to have these negotiable positions. But this is, it, it is funny. It's like the, in a weird way, it's like the consent culture for everything, you know? Mm-hmm. Do you think that people are so afraid to talk to other people because of these so-called ground rules and so forth that they, they just avoid it? They just avoid talking to people. And if they do, what's your advice to people who want to talk, but they don't want to walk in fear? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, okay, I'll say this, number one. So I'm an extrovert. Are you an extrovert? Raise your hand if you're an extrovert. Raise your hand, but only halfway if you're an introvert. Yeah, some of you didn't even want to do that. It's fine. It's fine. I'm judging you. Um, yeah, like I am an extrovert, so I always think it's my priority to, to start the conversation because I know a lot of people aren't. And if they're in my zone, that's like yeah. my job. That's my gift to them sometimes. Sometimes it's the worst thing that could possibly fall on an introvert. But the I, I don't know what exactly it is. I think also the idea of, I mean, isn't it so much easier to communicate via text Right. Like just to be like, hey, what are you doing? What's up? What's going on? Blah, blah, blah. That you already established the ice breaking via text that you don't have to do it in person. First. Right. Right. And then when you do it in person, you're like already in the middle of a conversation. Yeah. But to start one raw, that's a little that's, that's a bit much. So my thing is 
uh, you said, what would you say? How do I do it without walking in fear? Yeah. I would say walk in fear, but be courageous and let the courage outrank the fear. Like you just have to do it. And so by doing it, uh, it, it becomes so much better. And here's my pro tip. Uh, whoever you're talking to, if you're uncomfortable having conversations, with, especially with people you just meet, uh, just talk about them and have them talk about them. People can do that for days, <laughs> especially me. Well, you know, and John says in First uh, John, he says, perfect love casts out fear. And when you walk in love and you, you really love that person, forget about yourself and love them, a courage comes uh, comes at that at that point, it really does. I want to I want to move into something that uh, we talked about earlier a little bit, and we've talked about it many times in our life, and that is witnessing, sharing the faith with yeah. with others. How many of you struggle at times in sharing your faith? You struggle a little bit. Quite a just few. Just Mariah. Just Mariah. Okay. okay. <laughs> I think more people struggle with sharing the faith. The most important thing in your life, the thing that you would die for. How many of you would die for Jesus if, if it really came down to it? Now, this is interesting because for those of you that are listening to the show, somewhere under a million hands went up. I won't use that anymore. Okay. But <laughs> that's the third time. <laughs> all, a lot of hands went up. But then if you talk about, well, do you struggle in sharing him? A lot of hands remain. And so I want to talk about that. How do we start conversations? How do we witness to other people? How do we do it without standing like we're on the street corner preaching, you know, at people? It's just everyday life. Yeah. Yeah. So my big thing is uh, if I don't know a person at all, I always scale back uh, any expectation of what I can tell them in terms of for them how to live their life, right? Because sometimes what we do as Catholics is we want to micromanage other people's sin level, right? We're like, oh, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. And it's like, nice. Right, you're no better than a vegan telling me I shouldn't eat meat. It's fine that you do that, but I am going to choke you. But uh, no, so the, the thing is, when what is appropriate at that level? If I'm talking to a stranger, um, in my head, I'm just looking for cues that make sense organically. And usually those cues, and, and I and not to... Not to dote on you too much, but it actually was from a conversation we had on Every Knee Shall Bow, where it was like, I'm listening for things to say, how can I pray for you for? Yeah. Um, the other thing that I do, uh, I, I've been taking Ubers every day to and from here. My, my in-laws live in uh, Chesterfield, so it's about a 45-minute drive. So every day and every morning and every night, I'm with another Uber driver. And uh, I always, the, the idea is to lead with prayer. So in my head, I am praying I just pull out my rosary, pray the rosary, and then I ask for the Lord to make an opening, right? And because I want to be able to, the, I want the Holy Spirit to be a little out in front of me, yeah. at least an inch or so. What about you? Yeah, well, for me, in sharing the faith with people, one of the one of the holes out there that I have noticed as I've traveled the country and you know doing the things that I do is that people want to share Christ with others, but they don't know when it finally gets down to the message of the gospel in sharing that at Starbucks with somebody that you're talking with, the question is, what is the gospel? What is the good news? Because I can tell you that the, that the New Testament tells us that the Holy Spirit confirms the message. Mm. And the question is, what's the message? What are we sharing with people? And I can outline that very, very quickly for you. And then uh, uh, Mike, comment on that, please. 
The, the good news of Jesus Christ is called the kerygma. The kerygma. Everybody say kerygma. Kerygma. Right. The kerygma is, number one, God loves you and has an amazing plan for your life. Number two, sin has broken this plan. It's broke. Sin. Number three, the good news is Jesus Christ has come to die for your sin. Number four, he asks us to repent. Now, how many of you have a hard time saying to someone, you need to repent? I do too. I don't use it. I use what the catechism says. The catechism says that repentance is a radical reorientation of your life to God. How many of you could say that? Radical reorientation of your life to God. And then after that, number five, you are, you are baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. Number six, you join this amazing family, the church. Number seven, you go out and make disciples full circle. That's the gospel. And if you can remember that and weave it into a conversation with other people in a natural way, you don't have to tap someone at Starbucks on the shoulder and say, hey, God has a plan for you. Uh, and uh, the plan got all screwed up because of you, you know? You just, <laughs> what did you do to God's plan? It was so precious and you ruined it. Yeah. <laughs> So do you, do you try to weave in the truth into a conversation? The, the way I view it in my head, like conceptually, is uh, I am very, very good at making a hell out of my own life. And when I talk about bringing people into the church or bringing the gospel to someone, I don't think of it as I'm trying to recruit them from my club at all. And I think that's part of like the hindrance that some of us have is like, I'm trying to sell them on a thing I don't think of it that way. It's for me, it's, it's a radiation of blessing, right? So my mindset is always in this thing of like, they want to hear the gospel because they want to get out of the hells that they've created. So usually, and, and this is different for me, I'm like chocolate. People only interact with me when they're depressed in order to feel better. So, uh, whenever I, when I that's weird. I apologize. Um, Edit. but whenever, <laughs> But whenever I, so when I'm working with people, like I have a magnet. I don't know if you're like this. They're just people who are in a really broken spot tend to be drawn to me, right? So uh, total strangers would be like, oh my gosh, I'm going through a divorce. I don't know what to do. And you're like, hi, fellow passenger on the shuttle to the airport. Let's talk, you know? So what I always try to do is to bring Christ into those hells, right? And so I, uh, the script is always run in the back of my head of repentance and all this stuff. Um, but, but in the end, it's like, I am radiating the blessing of the father to these people. So I never feel combative. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's not that hesitant. It, it, to me, it takes away the hesitancy. And just today in the Ascension app, uh, this is not a plug for the Ascension app, but in the Ascension app, the daily Bible, um, thing, uh, Lily was saying how, uh, how like to withhold the gospel from someone is to deny the saint that they could be. Yeah. And she's like, why would I want to do that to someone? I want to give them sanctity. I want them to be friends with Christ. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting that the military, the military in the United States, they advertise to join them and become all that you can be, you know, in the military. And uh, we should be able to say that in the church to people. Hey, become all that you can be. Uh, come to, uh, come to, to Jesus. You mentioned something, and I want to take a reading out here real quick. You mentioned the app, the Ascension app. Yeah. How many of you have the Ascension app? It's free, babies. It's free. It's, free. it's so nice. It's free. How many of you do? That's very good. For those of you that don't, allow me to introduce you 
to what I think is the first time in, in history where electronically the Bible meets the catechism in a seamless way. And it's, it's free. And you can get the, the Ascension app by going to ascensionpress.com forward slash app, I believe. And Dang. you can get it free. Guess what it does? It has the entire Great Adventure Bible color-coded and tells you how to read the Bible as a story, the Great Adventure. And it has the catechism and they are linked to each other. Isn't that cool? And we have all, also a thousand and more, th over a thousand different videos and recordings in the text to answer your questions. And it's all free. Anyway, I wanted to say something about that because I've never known this to ever happen before. Yeah, the re this is what I say. If you want to come see me over at the Ascension Press booth, this is what I've been telling everyone. The catechism is available for free on the Vatican's website, which was designed by a toddler in 1994 and has not been updated since. And it doesn't have good search. There's a church called St. Charles Borromeo that built a search engine for the catechism, but none of that is as classy as the Ascension Press catechism. You get for free on your phone, boom, sales pitch done. Also, you get Father Mike Schmitz and you and the Bible in a Year App. Yeah. That's pretty nice. How many, have got, how many of you have uh, been through Bible in a year? More how many of you started Bible in a year? <laughs> <laughs> no, one, no one made it out of the early world. <laughs> Stuck with Noah. <laughs> yeah, I remember when we put together Bible in a year, uh, Father Mike was doing the dailies and then I would come in as a trail guide and show you, you know, how to read the Bible and so you don't get lost. We had a lot of fun with it. And I still remember, now get this, this was during COVID. Yeah. During COVID, we launched in 2021, the Bible in a year. I had finished recording a month or so earlier. I forgot about it. I did not remember January 1st when it was launched. And one of our producers called me and said, are you sitting down? And I said, yeah, why? And she said, you're number one in the country. And I said, number one, what? And she said, the podcast. And I, I, I said, the Jeff Caven show? <laughs> Jokingly. And she said, no, Bible in a year. I said, you've got to be kidding. And so did Father Mike. We went to Apple and looked and there it was. And I thought, no, two guys from Minnesota reading the Bible is number one in the country at that point for almost all of January. And it's just reading the Bible. Now, here's what I think was happening. And I'd like to get your take on it. Yeah, yeah is that the country was experiencing COVID. People were losing their trust in politicians, their trust in Hollywood, their trust in healthcare, and they needed something to build their life on. And what happened? The Bible became accessible and people from all over the world came on board and started reading it. I think we know it was the Holy Spirit moving people to that. It was extraordinary. Yeah, it really was. No, but it, that there was a perfect moment because in 2000 and, uh, or in on January 1st, New Year's resolution, all this stuff, and a lack of spiritual grounding and a lack of foundation being kind of ripped out from us. Uh, it was the perfect timing. I remember when we came together, you know, and thought we're going to put this show on and they said, Jeff, they say, here's how it's going to be. Jeff, with your looks and father's cleverness, this is going to be good. This is going to be great. Dynamite. Dynamite. 
Okay, tell me a little bit shift here. What are a couple of hot topics right now that, that these lovely people would be interested in? What are a couple of hot topics that you are encountering? Well, okay, well, okay. <laughs> the biggest thing that I'm encountering right now when I travel and do young adult ministry, so obviously we have gender issues, gender and sexuality. People are looking for the Catholic Church uh, somewhere between my uncle tells me we have to hate ev- all these people and he's the only devout Catholic I know to, you know, I look online and, you know, uh, you know, every, the Pope just changed everything and now it's totes cool. And there, people are just trying to understand what is our actions, attitudes, thinking, behavior around these things. And then uh, the other random thing that I get, I don't think it's all that random, it's a little zeitgeisty, but is AI and religion. I have been getting a ton of crazy questions about AI, religion. I mean, morality questions are always popping, but uh, AI and religion and where do we see our faith and is it, you know, all all the stuff that has to do with it. What do you think about AI, artificial intelligence? Yeah, no, I would say uh, I I greet our new electronic overlords with a warm smile. Uh, No, I use chat GPT all the time. I use it all the time. Anyone use ChatGPT all the time to write their papers in college? <laughs> all the hands went down. Don't tell your professors. Um, no, uh, I, I'm, I'm very scared. The thing that makes me scared is, as human beings, we are outsourcing our agency. More and more and more. And we're not learning how to, like, when, when my kid was, when my oldest was a, babe, a toddler, we had this little VTech thing. It had, like, a fake keyboard. It had little plastic key. It had all this stuff. And what that did was it gives kids a feeling of agency. Like I push this button that looks like a piano key and piano music sounds. But the problem with that is it's not. It's, a, it's, a, it's software that's playing a script that's running a song. So she feels like she's doing something in the world and she kind of really isn't. And then when you see iPad kids, kids raised on the iPad, they, they become so absorbed in it. And this is not old man yelling at clouds. I love technology, but... Uh, you see the agency is bound to a screen, that it's not something that's out in the world, and it's increasingly becoming inside my own head. So for me, AI, my biggest fears is not, well, one is how the government's gonna use it to do surveillance and track us all all the time, always. But other than that is also how it's chipping away at the sovereignty over ourselves. Right, right. What about you, what do you think? Well, I th- at first, you know, I thought it was pretty interesting. You can go and ask a question and all of a sudden, boom, something is created. And I experimented. My wife is a biblical archaeologist. That's my on wife, brand. My, she works over in Israel and Jordan and Egypt, and she does archaeology. She's Indiana Cavins for her handle. Nice. nice. And um, she's an archaeologist. So I went to chat GPT and I said, write a song for archaeologists with love. And it just spit it out. And I looked at it, I thought, wow. <laughs> and I said to my wife, when she came home, I said, I got a poem for you. Nice. And, nice. I, and I, I handed it to her. I didn't tell her. It was, it was uh, not me. And she read it and she started to cry. It so touched her heart. And she said, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard about archaeology and i said well <laughs> thank you yes but um that she doesn't work. listen to the show does she <laughs> <laughs> baby baby it's sweet but my he, favorite ai oh sorry it's it touched yeah. it, it touched her her heart yeah and that's the part that makes me wonder a little bit yeah is that there's 
there is a protocol out there that is designed to, if I wanted to, to reach inside of you. Yeah, that sounds terrifying on so many levels. Uh, but no, the, uh, the, my favorite AI story is I had a friend who was going through some marital issues and he lost his job. So he, he was getting a divorce, he lost his job. And I said, have you, have you told her yet? And he said, no. And I was on ChatGPT and I said, write a letter to, he said, I, I don't even have the words. I said, write a letter to my ex-wife explaining how we need to talk about finances because I just lost my job. Three seconds, boom. And then I said, write a funny letter. And it rewrote, it was like, greetings from the land of penny pinching. And it was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And then I said, write a sarcastic letter. And then it said, in a paragraph, it said, it is inappropriate to talk about financial matters with a co-parent and a former spouse in a sarcastic and cruel undertones. I am not allowed to write this. Uh, and <laughs> like, this is inappropriate for, for this subject matter. Wow. And I, and I literally went, I'm sorry. And I typed that <laughs> in and then I wrote, rewrite it in Victorian English. And then it was like, hello. You know, like, hey there, Nyan. Yeah, so it was, it was funny. It was like a, there's this element of surrealness yeah. Wow. And then I had to write me a Christian contemporary music album and I did it real quick. Wow. Shifting gears. How many of you have ever been involved in prison ministry? I mean, from the outside going in. Yeah. Okay. No, Not me. anybody really here. Ow. He looks like it. Okay. <laughs> he looks like it. <laughs> okay. So I want to introduce you to something that will, I think will really interest you. How many of you know the... Um, and was it the MS-13? Yeah, MS-13. MS-13 gangs around the country, deadly gangs, deadly. A lot of these guys are housed in a prison in Houston, Texas called Ferguson Unit. Ferguson Unit is the end of the line. It is almost 24-hour lockup, solitary, in a little cell with a double cage on the door. These were bad men and the place is packed with them. I had the opportunity to go there to Ferguson Unit a couple of years ago, and I'm gonna be going back again. And when I went there, I would meet with guys one-on-one. -on -one. They were raised Catholic. They were tattooed to where you could hardly even recognize. And I would talk to them and give them the Eucharist and pray with them through this little hole in the wall. And I found that this was an incredibly satisfying thing as far as my relationship with the Lord to go and actually visit with these guys at Ferguson Unit in Houston. Mike Gormley has adopted a prison ministry where he has gone into Ferguson Unit. And I wanna talk about that. I wanna talk about what you're doing there, opportunities for other people, what types of things are you producing for guys who are life sentence guys, yeah. a lot of them. Yeah, so I got involved. I don't know about y'all, I've never been to prison. My only experience with that is picking my brother up from the county jail at two o'clock in the morning. I don't know where his shoes were. Uh, <laughs> and that was my only experience, right? And then as I got voluntold by our mutual friend, Jerry, that I needed to go and do this uh, prison ministry. So as a chubby little suburbanite theology major, I tried to back out of it. And uh, he went and told all the guys how scared I was of them. I don't know if you know that in prison, you don't do that. So then eventually I get over it and I go. And it was the most incredible retreat. So it was a three-day retreat. Colby Prison Ministries is the name, Retreat Ministries. They put on three-day retreats in prisons. 
Texas, there's 110 men's units, 110. And there's like seven women's units. So that should tell you something. Um, but the Ferguson unit, like you said, it's a maximum security, violent offenders, mostly gang affiliated. And so when we go in there, it, it was just this experience of just doing this retreat, talking about the gospel, talking about confession, talking about the rosary, the divine mercy chaplet, and watching people's lives change. Watching, and I, I tell this to people all the time, I feel bad for you who have never done prison ministry because maybe some of you might doubt or question God's existence. I have seen God work in instantaneous, miraculous ways right in front of my eyes. And I feel like, to me, I feel like you have to go to these extremes, to these edges of where the darkness is the greatest in order to see the stark contrast of when Christ comes in and is the light of these people's world. So yeah, that it's changed my life. So I started doing prison ministry. I've done multiple retreats. COVID shut everything down. And then the prison that I'm at is overpopulated. It's in Texas. It's in the Houston area. No air conditioning. No air conditioning. The windows are broke, so birds fly in. Uh, it's, it's a mess. It is a total human rights mess. And the wardens are trying to change it, but there's, only, there's no money. Because if you're going to vote for public schools or you're going to vote for prisons, what are you going to do the bond for? People are like, oh, they made their bed. They'll deal with it. So um, we go in there, and my heart is for the corrections officers, the, the, the staff that has to run this stuff, every bit as much as it is for the inmates. So now what I'm doing is I'm writing a, an apologetics curriculum for the, uh, for the inmates. It's called Inclusion. It's based on my program for bringing Protestants into the Catholic Church for RCIA. And it's to help. It's a non-combative form of explaining the biblical origins of the Catholic faith and whatnot. So... And, yeah. and there's another beautiful thing that has taken place at Ferguson Unit at this uh, maximum security. A lot of, li a lot of guys are lifers yeah. uh, and very dangerous. It's a dangerous place to be if, you, uh, if you're out in the population there. Get, get this. For the first time in history, they have okayed bringing giant flat screens in front of cells on this block. And bringing the great adventure Bible study yeah. to this maximum yeah. security prison. Yeah. And so, isn't that great? Yeah, it's no joke. It's no it's, joke. And you have multiple lifers just sitting in a, the, what are they, the three by eight? Yeah, three by eight three cells. Three by eight cells. Concrete blocks and then a mesh, not, not just the bars, but then a steel mesh. And the only thing is a gap where they slide the trays of food in. Right, and so they never, and the, this is how they're addressed every day. You tell, them how, tell them how you have to dress. And you know, when you go to those, I mean, the, oh, the mask, yeah. you gotta wear a puncture-proof vest, yeah. you gotta wear a mask. Yeah, you have to wear slash-proof, and then you have to wear facial coverings, because watch out. And uh, you go in there, and th this is one of my favorite stories. A buddy of mine was teaching on the incarnation and the, the saving significance of the word becoming flesh. So Jerry then goes to the administrative segregation, it's called the ad seg for us cool people. And he goes in and he's talking with a guy who was uh, a hitman for one of these one of these gangs, and he's so moved by what he heard the night before that he says, "I'm going to put my pinky through the grate, and I'm going to pray the Our Father." Yeah, and he goes, "I'm going to pray the Our Father. If you just want to hold my pinky while we pray." Now think about this: never is he are the inmates called by their name. They're never except unless by their by a judge. They're never called by their name. They have a prison nickname or they're just called inmate. And we give them their names back. We call them by their name, right? 
And then Jerry is holding his pinky, praying the R, or the, uh, Gary, Jerry has his finger through and he's holding it. And this is a guy who is in there for life, has been in solitary confinement for 24 years and is weeping like a child because this is the first time he's had human contact in years. And it's just to hold a man's pinky. And one of the guys said to me, well, the first thing he said to me was, I haven't seen so many white people in one room since I got arrested by the FBI. That was the funniest line in prison ministry I've ever heard. But then afterwards, he's thanking us for this. He's saying this stuff to us. And he said, you gave me my name back. You gave, he said, my gang, I gave my whole life to the gang, got arrested at 19 years old. They've never visited me. They've never come. And he goes, and here are a bunch of suburban guys from the Woodlands, Texas, are here and they know me and they care about me. Mm -hmm. And he's like, my own, my gang doesn't even care about me. And, and so th this is the thing is, when you find Christ on the peripheries like we're talking about, this is where you see the gospel light up. This is why the, 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 the you know, visit them in prison and the sick, like if you go to an, a, a, a place where the elderly are just forgotten and warehouse, when you walk in, you become the light of their world. Like, Go to the margins, like Pope Francis says, and that's where you'll see faith come alive. I remember the first time I went there, we were out in the parking lot, we got out of the car, and we were probably eighth of a mile from the front door, and all I could hear was screaming Constantly. and yelling. And I said, what is that? And uh, Deacon uh, Jerry said, that's life at Ferguson, 24-7. Yeah. Four in the morning, screaming. Just constant yelling, roar. Just unbelievable. And yeah. to bring Jesus to those people, it's one of the few commands, actually, that the Lord says, when you visited me, or visited the, the one in prison, you visited me. Yeah. Now, Mother, Mother Teresa had a fabulous way of communicating this. She said that every one of you here today, and I want you to think not only about prison, but think about outside of prison and the people that you meet at college, at work, in the neighborhood, wherever it might be. She says she visits Jesus and Jesus visits her in the most hideous disguise. How many of you can see Jesus in the most hideous disguise? Anybody That's you can hard. see that? That's what's happening here. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and the, when you, when you participate in this, you leave. I remember there was about three hours into the retreat. I was so nervous. I, I was a small group facilitator at a table and they're all sharing stories and they don't tell you why they're in there. That you gotta earn a level of trust. And you don't like, ask. Yeah, and you do not ask. And you do not Google it. Cause if you Google it and find out, cause all those records are public records, you walk in the next day, you're at, you're, you'll have these glasses on that you'll, it'll, it'll prevent the way you for doing ministry. So. You want to be able to see them as a person as they are, right? And, uh, or as they kind of present themselves. But you're in there and they start telling these epic stories of their horrible lives. Mm -hmm. And then this is when it dawned on me, I have had such a lucky life. I have so much to be thankful for. Like this one guy, his mother gave him essentially like embalming fluid to smoke when he was nine years old because he was so... He was acting out because his dad abandoned him at six. And she had a string of boyfriends who used to like abuse him. And, it's, and, she, and he was so like violent and all this stuff that she would just get, it's, it's like, what hope is there for that guy to live a rich and successful life? 
And the answer is us with Christ. That's the hope. And if I can overcome my fear of seeing the hideous and the distressing, and I can encounter Christ beneath that surface, all of a sudden they have an opportunity to encounter Christ back. Like it's, it's shocking, but it's, it's the arithmetic of divine grace. Obviously not everybody is going to go out next week to their local prison and knock on the door and say, I heard a great podcast, I'm here. <laughs> but this father, these twin Father Mike lookalikes. <laughs> so what, what would you say to all of our friends about if they're interested at some yeah. point in being involved in prison ministry, which I used to be involved with prison ministry with Chuck Colson. Uh, Chuck yeah. Colson Prison Fellowship. He was he was Nixon's uh, right-hand yeah. hatchet man. <laughs> and he had a powerful conversion experience and he ended up in a full-time prison ministry. What would you say? My number one advice, if this, if this has moved your heart in any direction, my number one advice is do not do it on your own. Partner with a ministry or organization, go through the training, because here's the deal. You are full of Christian idealism. You want to see Jesus in his most distressing disguise, all that stuff. Some of them, they are, they are not, they're there to get something out of you, right? And so they're, the way they was taught in our prison training was they are coming at you with their mind and they have 24 hours a day, seven days a week to think about how they're going to do it. You're coming at them with your heart. And you just want to love them. And some men, that's all they need and that's what they want. Other guys are going to, other people will take advantage of that. So always partner with a ministry who can keep you in check, who can lay it out, where you have mentors, you have people who will, who will be there. I partner with the Colby Prison Retreat Ministries. I encourage you to go look them up. They're awesome. Um, and then, uh, th so that's my big thing is if you partner with an organization, what you want to do is feel free to minister, not to think about how to do ministry, right? So let them bring all the curriculum and the this and the that. And the other thing is, um, you know why we have those TVs set up for the Bible timeline? It's because uh, Ascension Press reached out to me and said, uh, we just overhauled all the great adventure stuff and we have a warehouse full of last version of the books, but we don't want to throw them away. Can you take them? And I pointed them to Colby. They took massive shipments of thousands of books and now every prison in Texas has access to this curriculum. Now, to contrast that, 110 prisons, one Catholic priest, one Catholic deacon, and a handful of lay ministers to serve 110. Anti-Catholicism, people are hemorrhaging from the church. Now the tide is finally turning. Through Colby, hundreds of men, laymen are getting involved. They're bringing their deacons, they're bringing their priests, mm -hmm. they're bringing Jeff. We're talking about it. We're getting people to be like, oh yes, it's not just enough to be tough on crime. I gotta love these people wherever Christ wants me to love them. I remember one time, I'll share a quick story with you. I was invited to a maximum security prison. These guys at the prison had gone through the Great Adventure Bible Study, the 24-week study. They had gone through it seven times. And I, they had a lot of time, okay? So they, uh, pure prison humor. They're a captive audience. Yeah. <laughs> They went through it seven times and I got a letter asking if I would come to the prison and talk to them. And they got, I got checked out and I ended up at this prison. And I walked in and I'm standing on a podium and there's about 200 inmates there, some you know brothers. And, and I'm, I'm noticing as I'm talking to them, there's no doors behind me. <laughs> They're all back there behind them. And there's like 200 of them. And these were, these are rough characters. 
Some of them came because they were interested. Some of them came because it was something different yeah. to do. Yeah. And so sure. I'm I teach I'm teaching them and hey guys, I've been with you on videotape for the last, you know, I don't know how many years. Any questions? And this guy in the back raises his hand. He is so tatted that I, I didn't even know I, I didn't know who he was. He raises his hand and I could tell everybody knew who he was. And he has this swag. And I'd do it, but uh, my swag is a little different. <laughs> Father Josh Johnson says, give up, Jeff. You don't have swag. Okay? I said, yes, I do. Oh, oh that was awful. And he awful. said, no, uh, no, 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 no. So this guy stands uh, in the back and he looks at me and he says, yo, Mr. Cavins. And I said, <laughs> yeah. He said, uh, I was just wondering. There's a whole bunch of us and there's no doors behind you. Does that make you scared? And I'm like, no. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. You know what I did? Something came over me. I got down off the platform. I walked back and I stood right in front of him. And I looked at him and I said, no. And you know why? And I quoted Galatians 2.20. I said to him, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. You are looking at a dead man. And then I realized what I said. <laughs> and he's uh. standing there, he's looking at me, and everyone's looking at him to see what he does. And I'm looking at him, and then he says, I like that. <laughs> and I said, I'm so glad you do. <laughs> so I'm so very happy you do. That yeah. guy turned out to be the leader of the group that was helping these guys understand the Lord. So yeah. remember to pray for the people. We are a country of incarcerated people. Yep. It's, a, it's horrible. What about all the people, uh, Mike, that are incarcerated that happen to be here today? They are in a different prison, perhaps. They are. In their I life. didn't know what you were talking about at first. I was like, oh, we're going to metaphor land. Okay, <laughs> I'm ready. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we all, th this is the thing that these guys say, and this is what I remind them whenever I do this. Uh, you might, you, one aspect of your life is over, but your life is not over. And here, Christ Jesus can anoint your time in this prison in order to be salt and light to the world in a different way. One of my favorite guys is this like delightful redneck where we bonded over uh, video games. He says, every, I asked, does anyone have any questions? He raised his hand. He became Catholic. He left Wiccanism. He's a, a neo-pagan. And he said, uh, how can I be a better father when I only, a better Catholic and a better father when I only have one hour a week on the phone with my son? And I just began to cry, mostly because I'm a crybaby. I'm very emotional. But I began to cry. And I, I began to look at my kids differently. And I began to look at my life differently. And here's the reality. We can put ourselves into prisons by our actions, by our circumstances, by our behaviors that think that they actually limit us or end aspects of our life. These periods of sufferings or whatever. So if sin is imprisoning you, know that Christ came to set captives free. If your circumstances that you maybe cannot change make you feel trapped, then I'm, my message to you is that your life is not on pause, right? Let's say maybe the circumstances are you have a terrible diagnosis or some, something that is causing you pain, right? 
The, the idea is your life is not on pause while you deal with this. You can actually flourish, but flourishing looks different than chapter one. Chapter two is gonna be a new chapter for you. And so the Lord can use all of these things for the good, for those who love him. That doesn't necessarily mean God is gonna take away all the pain. Mm -hmm. He might mean that he's gonna deliver something even greater to you in the midst of that, right? Yeah, so, right. You know, switching topics for a moment. How many of you were at my talk the other day? A number of you, rest of you, where were you? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I brought up something in that talk that has changed my life, a couple things. And I want to I throw them your way and get your thought on these. We didn't talk about this, but one of them is this. I mentioned, and I found it to be true. Nothing becomes dynamic in your life. Nothing becomes dynamic until it becomes specific. In other words, if you, if you just know all about the faith, but you don't become specific in what you are doing, you never really become dynamic. And you take marriage, for example. You can say, well, I'm happily married. I, I, my goal is to have a happy marriage. I wanna have a fruitful, loving marriage. That's what I'm after. Well, in 30 years from now, you'll still be saying that without realizing it or experiencing it because you didn't become specific. You didn't start zeroing in on that area of, of your life. How many of you know what I'm talking about there is that, yeah, you, I see hands, you, you're, you're very uh, broad speaking, you're broadly speaking, you love the faith, but yet have not become specific in a certain area. Your thoughts uh, on that, Mike, about becoming specific? Yeah, if you look up right now, you can see a bunch of lights, right? Those lights, pretty powerful, they can light up a spot. When light is diffused, you, you could put it in an easy bake oven, doesn't do much. But when light is focused, like a laser, it can cut through steel. The way the devil works in, in a lot of our lives is through dissipation, through diffusing, through spreading ourselves so thin, through by, by, by being focused on everything, we're actually focused on nothing. And so the number one remedy, I believe for a lot of people is, I, I'm glad you said this, is like, if you wanna overcome sin in your life, what's one thing? Give me one thing that you're gonna dedicate one year on. It just comes from uh, chapter 11 of book two of, of Imitation of Christ. If people would just pick one thing a year to focus their energy on, soon they will be perfect, he said. He said, but, but that doesn't happen. People just diffuse. We get all, oh, it's not that one thing, it's that 40 things. And that's what Satan does. He, he steals our ability to bring attention and focus that one thing. Lastly, I will say, when it comes to our faith, nothing, uh, if, you know, we have the sword of the spirit, it has to have a sharp edge somewhere. It could be a broad sword, but some edge has to be sharp, right? Right. And that, that's that specific focus. So right now in my life, I'm doing a lot of stuff on apologetics. That's not my whole life. I'm not an apologist. I'm just focusing on this area. But I, there's so much richness there. Mm -hmm. All the other things are connected to it. But yeah, the Lord, yeah, you move it. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned something else that I've actually talked, I talked about this on the Jeff Caven show not too long ago, but it bears repeating. And that is this, the word priority, the word priority <laughs> comes from this idea prior, which is first priority. That word was developed in the 14th century. It was singular priority. 
It wasn't until the 19th century that it was plurus, plur, you know, plural, priorities. And one of the things that stops people from growing in the Lord and really flourishing and becoming fruitful is that they set up 10 priorities in their life. And again, nothing becomes dynamic unless it becomes specific. You've got 10 priorities, you've got 15 priorities, and at the end of the year, you realize, I have not given myself to my priorities like I wanted to. And the reason is, is because the most important thing is to have a priority, Yeah, a priority. When Jesus in John 15 said, Father, I have told them your name. I have revealed you. I have done everything you told me to do. That was his priority. Jesus didn't have a priority when he was with the disciples, when he was with the Sadducees, the Pharisees, bowling, fishing, walking on water. He had one priority in his life. How many of you deep down inside hunger for a priority that you can just throw your life into to have that one priority. That's a disciple of, of, of Jesus. You know, I talked to a, I talked to a, um, a, uh, a, a man, a man who focuses on deliverance, okay? okay. an exorcist. Okay. I talked to an exorcist, a very, very good exorcist. And I said to him, I asked the question, does the enemy just want us to go to hell and, 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 and stop us from talking about Jesus. And he said, not really. He said his focus is to distract you. His focus is to distract you. Because if he can distract you and not let you focus on Jesus as the priority, he has a, stands a better chance of winning the final game uh, with you. This idea, Mike, about priority versus priority, Tea. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I do this in my professional life, right? Uh, I, when I travel and give talks, I often will do a, a parish staff retreat. And I'll say, imagine what your work would be like if you deleted all email for a week. Like no one sent you an email for a week. Everyone does this, no matter what environment I'm in, they all go, oh, I would get so much work done. And then you say, well, then what is your job? Your job's not answering email. So then I go off in this email thing. But that's where the like priorities is it like, here's the one thing that comes before everything else. There's actually 27 of them. And <laughs> that's where we lose the sharpness of the edge of, of the sword. So I think about this exactly what you're saying. Uh, there are so many beautiful spiritualities represented here. Yeah, we're in an auditorium right now with all of Catholicism yeah. represented. <laughs> yeah, Catholic Disneyland, right? So I would say to you, and I feel like I have the authority and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to say this, uh, just kidding, but you should just pick one thing. Like, pick the Bible. It, you can't go wrong <laughs> picking the Bible, especially this one from Ascension Press. It's beautiful. Um, <laughs> but pick the Bible and say, this is my spiritual life is going to be this thing. Because you know what it's like. Uh, well, have you done the litany of trust? What about the litany of humility? Uh, have you signed up for Pray More Novenas? Are you also doing... And there's so much good stuff there that you should, you know, whatever... But what's the priority of your spiritual life? And I would say every Roman Catholic needs to make, uh, and Eastern Catholics too, we need to make the priority be knowing Christ and the gospel. If that's the priority, you can do all the other things. But what comes prior is the one thing. Mm -hmm. And when you do that, you, you tend to not make room for Satan and distraction. Mm -hmm. 
I think deep down inside, we all want that one priority that we can give ourselves uh, totally to give ourselves, you know, first place is Jesus. And uh, if I have to keep track of 15 priorities, it's just too much. Even if I use my, my iPhone, it's just too much. Right. And I'm not medicated right now, so ADHD, it throws me off. So <laughs> many things to juggle. Uh, you know, again, we're here at, at Seek 24 in St. Louis, a beautiful city of St. Louis. We are in Mission Way where all of the ministries are represented with their booths and all kinds of opportunities. What's your advice, Mike, to, uh, to our wonderful people here who are wondering, God, what are you calling me to? Are you calling me to the priesthood? Are you calling me to the religious life? Are you calling me to tech? Are you calling <laughs> me to write a book or, or start a new ministry? We're here in the heart of it right now. What's your advice for people who are trying to discern what does the future hold? You're a student at Texas A&M right now, or you're a student at Colorado or Wisconsin, uh, Minnesota, <laughs> wherever. <laughs> And you're asking, how do I proceed? Yeah, uh, there's a lot of awesomeness. I say, have an attitude that's open to all the cool things you see here. Uh, but again, this goes right back to what we said right beforehand. Pick one. So the don't don't have analysis paralysis. Like, oh, but this is beautiful, and this spirituality is beautiful. This thing's amazing. Do it. Go and do it. Taste and see. Right. Uh, if, if it makes sense, think about it rationally. Don't jump in without a parachute, but like think about it rationally. Can I do this? Can I make a commitment for a year? Can I go see Tommy Nelson's booth over at uh, the Diocese of Green Bay and invest in youth ministry? Can I go do, you know, a pro-life ministry? Is that on my heart? Is this a thing I want to do? And then from that perspective, can I give what they're asking? Right. Think about it rationally. Don't be weird. Think about it rationally. God doesn't want you just throwing your life away. Right. But then commit to something, right? Don't be afraid to make a commitment and to pursue that thing. I think a lot of us, there's so much good, we just don't know where to go. Yeah. Hey, I, I want to thank you for joining joining me today. It's yeah. been so good to talk to you. We, we, we never run out of things to talk about. Right, we do keep going. Yeah. How can people get in touch with you? I would ask you not to. I'm married with kids, and quite frankly, you're annoying. No, uh, <laughs> layevangelist.com, a website seen by dozens. I have a podcast, Every Knee Shall Bow. Uh, text EKSB at 33777. Hop on that email list. Um, that's that's the principal ways that that I like. I'm also on Twitter, at layevangelist, but I never go on there because it's terrifying. <laughs> what about you, Jeff? How can people find you? Uh, well, you can find me at ascensionpress.com. I have the Great Adventure uh, Bible Study. Seriously, if you're looking for a Bible, I wrote an article in there on how to read the Bible in chronological order. And we have a great team. Dr. Mary Healy, Dr. Peter Williamson at Sacred Heart in Detroit did a phenomenal job. And um, uh, Andrew Swafford. Yeah, Dr. Swafford. Dr. Swafford over at Atchison. Any Atchison? Benedictine people here. Any Benedictines? Okay, very good. Any Normandale Junior College people from Minnesota? <laughs> what if like 30 people just stood up and they're like, Normandale, what's up? The human beings. <laughs> no, you can get a hold of me over at, uh, over at uh, ascensionpress.com. I also do a daily on Hello with uh, Jonathan Rumi, the daily reflection. So I want to thank you so much yeah. for joining us. And I want to thank you all for spending some time with us. It means a lot. And blessings upon you as you continue on into Seek 24. We'll have more information on the show notes on how yep. you can get a hold of Mike and uh, everything else we've been talking about. God bless you. Have a, have a great day.
Bye. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more info on the SEEK conference, visit seek.focus.org. This episode of the SEEK24 podcast was produced by Spoke Street. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.